talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Focused on the facts. Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hey, good to have your company. So much more to get to. I will get to Lincoln Parker very shortly. We're going to go through some of the big stories uh, making headlines down under. And also I'll catch up with the Eastern Victorian MLC, Renee Heath, and some big stories to emerging from Victoria, including the fact that her party is stopping a treaty for Indigenous Victorians. Now, most people outside of Australia would think, well, hang on, didn't you have a voice referendum recently where any kind of treaty stroke voice to the parliament was voted against? Yes. But there are three jurisdictions, state jurisdictions in Australia that want to go ahead with their own treaty, with their own, I don't know, Indigenous advisory annexure to their state constitution. I would have thought if the people have spoken, how dare you decide to go ahead and do this upon yourself, for yourselves. If the people of Australia have spoken, so too of those within your state. So you don't have, I would have thought, any kind of um, any kind of approval, uh, any kind of mandate to create a treaty. Now, treaty by definition is about giving, is about giving back. And it goes down that same path that I often talk about the fact that, you know, progressives think that we should be eternally sorry for the fact that the English uh, came to our shores in 1778 and colonialism began. Sorry. There are so many aspects of what the English brought to Australia that we should be so thankful for. But there's a lot less thanks and far too much criticism and gripes for our own good. That's the problem with Australia at the moment. Anyway, I won't labour the point. I do want to point out that in Congress last week, there was a Democrat who said that they should tear down the Statue of Liberty. Yes, that's exactly what he said. Um, Maxwell Frost, who you may remember last year was uh, got a few uh, news stories and a little bit of magazine coverage about becoming the youngest sitting member of Congress. He's a Democrat from Florida. But he's not getting the kind of, that kind of coverage at the moment. This is about coverage based on the fact that on the floor of Congress, he has suggested that the Statue of Liberty should be torn down if Americans are serious about border security. So in other words, Frost's view is that conservatives are gross hypocrites for promoting border security. We should not look after our own countries, but in particular in the, in the American context, Americans should not want to protect their borders. Like what kind of cuckoo land does this bloke live in? Has he spoken to anyone that would regard themselves as an average American? Has he spoken to anyone uh, in his hometown, they wouldn't all be behind what he's saying here. Um, he says this, to my colleagues from the other side of the aisle, let's be honest with immigrants who deserve better than what you're offering them. Don't welcome immigrants if you plan to reject them. If you keep pushing a bigoted 
bill, this is the HR2 bill, then also passed this bill. I've taken the liberty of drafting it for you. It removes the Statue of Liberty, our largest symbol that tells people to come here. No, 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 no. It doesn't tell people to come here. It emphasises a number of things. It emphasises an orderly processing procedure. And I know for one, um, my roots, my grandfather's roots uh, that arrived from Ireland, they got to New York via Ellis Island. That was the processing point. I've been to Ellis Island, as many who are listening and watching this have been as well. It's an incredible place, an incredible show of liberty that people can come to America in an orderly way and be processed in an orderly way at a time when America needed their work, their expertise, and their assistance. That is different to what we're talking about right now. We're talking about illegal immigrants, uh, immigrants in cities that flood those same locations and don't have jobs to go to, uh, places where jobs are very scarce and are therefore taken by immigrants and not by local people. These are true stories. These are true stories. And this is why it needs to be orderly. It can't be illegal. It can't be jumping over a border and we wrap our arms around anyone who makes it and say, come one, come all. Do you have 65,000 others that would like to come with them? No, it's got to be orderly, as it was on Ellis Island. The Statue of Liberty is about being able to take in other people from other lands at a time when your country needs you and needs your work ethic and your skills. It's not about bringing people in who are illegal and are bettering themselves and not bettering the United States of America. The conservatives, whoever they may be, the Republicans, they have the right for proper border security. And that doesn't even talk about... Um, gross criminals that come through the door, the pedophiles, uh, you know, the terrorists, etc. That That's another issue entirely. And he would not understand that. He doesn't think that that's a problem. Oh, we'll wait. We'll just see how they perform. No, Americans won't cop that. So this is Maxwell Frost, who I think has proven from what he had to say in Congress to be way too green to be in such a powerful position. That's something we've now learned the hard way. This is Chris Smith on TNT. The facts. No spin or agenda. Not enough with the lies. We need the facts. This is today's News Talk Radio. TNT. All right, let's get into this. Uh, Lincoln Parker has over 20 years experience in government, defence research and technology development. He chairs the Defence and National Security Policy Branch of the New South Wales Liberal Party of Australia. Lincoln has worked for the Australian government, and at its consulates in San Francisco and New York. He contributes regularly to domestic and international publications and also live media. I thought we'd grab him today, considering so many things fall into his sphere of power and expertise. Lincoln Parker, welcome. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having me, Chris, and happy upcoming Australia Day. Yes, I'm glad you said it. I was waiting for an Australian to get on and say that, and you've done so well. But we're being, let, let's start with that subject today. Here we have, and this would confound Americans immensely, that we would have mm. the Australian Open uh, Organisational Body, which is Tennis Australia, and Cricket Australia, which runs one of our most 
prominent and popular sports cricket. Stopping us from celebrating Australia Day on Australia Day when the Australian Open is on and when Test cricket is on between our national team and the West Indies, it's somehow got to be taken out of any kind of script for any kind of ceremony on that day. I have not heard of anything more nationally disgraceful in my life. Look, I completely agree. And whoever the chairman of Cricket Australia is should hang his head in shame. I mean, he's absolutely out of touch. It's a gutless thing to do. Um, I myself am a cricket coach. I, I coach the under 15 boys cricket here in Harbord. I've been coaching for years. I love cricket. Many Australians love cricket. I mean, let's face it, it's, it's our really only national sport that all of the states and territories play. We're very good at it. In fact, we're world champions. And the majority of Australians support Australia Day. And I can tell you, the boys are, are proud Australians, just as I am and you are. What's wrong with being proud of Australia and proud of our national day for Cricket Australia to do this, it's disgusting. I don't get it. I don't understand it. They are completely out of touch. Whoever that chairman is of, of the body of Cricket Australia has got to go. Especially in a sporting context, um, Lincoln, because in a sporting context, you have so many opportunities to fly the flag for your country, to fly the flag for your country's star tennis players and your star cricketers. They are more patriotic about their country than probably you know, ordinary everyday Australians. So this is just the wrong part of our culture to make this statement, isn't it? Well, it is. And look, at the end of the day, I think what we should be saying to these groups, Chris, if you receive any government, and when I say government, I mean your taxpayer dollar, our taxpayer dollars, and you don't want to celebrate our National Day, if you're ashamed of being Australian, well, you don't get it. Yeah. Okay? So Great idea. Yeah, you know, you, you can go and do something else, but if you're representing a body like Cricket Australia or, or tennis or, or any Australian group where you're representing our country and you decide that it's, you know, that, that you don't like Australia, well, then you don't get any money, you do not get any support because, as I said before, we know, we've seen the polls, the vast majority of Australians are proud of being Australian. And, and what kind of message does this send to our children? Yeah. I mean, it's wrong. And, you know, they need to rethink their positions um, and stop being woke and gutless. Let, let's, let's crunch down into what is a minimal protest here. And when I say minimal, although corporate Australia overrepresents the argument, the contrary argument, I think the recent poll that I saw illustrates what is far more accurate that one in five have a problem with Australia Day being on January 26th. Because January 26th, for those listening from outside of Australia, is the day that the first fleet from England arrived in uh, our harbour in Farm Cove in New South Wales, or the colony, and uh, decided to colonise. It wasn't an invasion. People didn't come on. Most of the boats were full of convicts in chains. Um, it was a very different description than the description you often hear about some kind of invasion. That's wrong, historically, factually wrong. But this is what it's all about, isn't it? And you've had uh, Woolworths and then Aldi and then Kmart in the corporate retail world say they won't be selling Australia Day merchandise, which I thought was way over the top, given the uh, feeling for Australia Day out in the general community. 
But even if we moved it, say we moved it to, I don't know, January the 1st, which is when the word Australia was uh, crowned and brought into law, even if we moved it to January the 1st, you can see what would happen even then. There would be somehow a pall over the idea of celebrating Australia. The same people who would complain about January the 26th would complain about January the 1st because they think the country still needs to apologise to Indigenous people. Is that a fair argument from me? It's a fair argument from you, and I agree. I do not agree that we should change the date. I think the 26th of January represents who we are. I mean, for your listeners that aren't Australian, that, that may be tuning in from other parts of the world, look, you know, Australia was barely on the map of the world. I mean, it was like going to Mars. Yeah. I mean, these people, yes, most of them, in fact, we were a penal colony, colony as you mentioned. Most of the people that came down were in, in the bottom of the ship, at the bottom of the boat in chains, in leg irons. Um, they came to a, a new place. It was not an invasion. The population of... Um, of local Aboriginals was tiny. Um, so they made it here and they actually made a colony successful mm. um, at the most great odds to do so when most colonies around the world that have been set up by um, European powers had failed. Um, they came to Sydney and they made it what it is today and they yeah. made Australia the most kind and generous country uh, and democratic, free um, that the world has ever seen. And you and you somehow Cricket Australia or, or any others from the left groups or Greens, um, you know, they're ashamed of that. Yeah. I mean, it, it, we need to have a rethink in this country of, of who we are, where we've come from, what we've done, what we've achieved and how good we are. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And just a footnote to all of this, I understand what I've learnt from this argument over the last 48 hours is the fact that Cricket Australia has its own uh, Indigenous Advisory Committee. So what does the Indigenous Advisory Committee do? Advises them not to mention Australia Day on Australia Day. And what? Look after those Indigenous players that have been selected for Australia. There haven't been many. Oh, look, who knows? I yeah, I, that's the first I've heard of it. Um, I, I wasn't aware they had this advisory committee. I'm not entirely sure what that committee does. Um, it hasn't been made known, at least to the public. No. Um, how much money does that advisory committee get? What What mm. do they do? What are their Who outcomes? Who are they? Who are they? What, yeah. what are their outcomes? How is that benefiting cricket? Yeah. Um, how is that benefiting the children of this country um, that love the game of cricket and are ashamed at Cricket Australia for cancelling Australia Day? Um, I've no idea. Um, so, you know, this is the first time I heard of it. And I'd like to know, just as you would, what do they do? Who are they? How much are they getting paid? Why isn't, you know, if, if there are no outcomes, if there are no deliverables that they're actually producing um, and giving to cricket in this this country, then let's use that money on, on our children, on, mm. you know, kids that want to play cricket and get rid of the politics out of cricket. It's We're just Australian... another sporting group in Australia that have done something woke, something that looks to me, like virtue signalling to make themselves look like a great corporate citizen. It's shameful. I, I have no words. Um, yeah. I wish they would uh, maybe where they should, they could just go find another job. Yeah, I'm with you. I've got to take a quick break. I'll come back with you. I do want to talk about a big cost of living meeting between MPs in the government. I don't understand why they've done this 18 months after the event. But anyway, 
We'll uh, we'll talk about that with Lincoln Parker right after a break on TNT. TNT's Jeremy Nell. Nice comment here from Rebecca. She says the youngest people um, I work with are a bit more mature, but their interactions with the public is stifled. And she's referring to the excessive use of cell phones and social media and how it's making them so antisocial also. The business is open six days a week. One of his staff members formally requested that they shouldn't, you know, that they could they be given permission not to have to work on Wednesdays so that they could help at the dog shelter. Now, as you know, I'm a dog lover. I have hunting dogs. I've got dogs coming out of my ears, my Malinois. And this dog, this Malinois, is bright even by Malinois standards. She can do crossword puzzles. Is lying under my desk at the moment feeling sorry for herself because she's just come on heat for the first time and she's completely bewildered. She doesn't know why she's bleeding to death. It's not about whether it's a good or a bad thing to work at animal shelters. That's a delightful thing. It's a noble thing to do. But who in their right minds goes to their boss and says, would you mind? I'd rather not work on Wednesdays if it's okay because I've got other priorities in a, in a town down the road. Jeremy now on today's News Talk TNT. God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ. Look to the past, learn from the past, because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40. California has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a thousand dollar a day fine. Government stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci. When I went into the White House, when I sat in on the task force meetings, was a shocking level of gross incompetence. The mortality rate from the virus was 0.2 percent, you know, 99.8% survival, rather than the 3 or 4% mortality that the, the people were saying at the time. The culture and the understanding of the people of Grace Church has always been, not only do you obey government, but you honor government. Thousands of people in the streets, but you can't have church. The hypocrisy of letting people riot it helped us all understand one thing. This is not what they say it is. By meeting, we're testifying the government has no jurisdiction here. I was arrested and driven to a maximum security prison. The government has obviously uh, turned up the heat on churches. My daddy. <laughs> when the churches fall silent, the only religion left is the state. We needed to make a biblical statement because we always put ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. LA County threatened Pastor John MacArthur with jail time and arrest. We were going to be sued. They wanted Grace Church shut down. We wanted to go on the offensive and attack the health order as unconstitutional. This wasn't about health and safety. This was all about control and opposition to religious freedom. As the government gets more corrupt and more corrupt, snitches get rewards. Its totalitarian control has to increase. And you have to have a mask on. And as they shut down any attacks against them, this is not about freedom or personal choice. The last thing standing is going to be the church. 
Unbiased information. Honest and forthright. News without the misinformation. It doesn't matter what side you're from. What matters is what you say, the truthfulness behind it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Oh, gee, a big reaction on the chat box on TNTradio.live in reference to the banning of Australia Day, basically, by Cricket Australia and also Tennis Australia after we had those retail chains doing the same thing about two weeks ago. Uh, Tony writes, how can we have a national team in an international event snubbing our nation's day? You cannot make this stuff up. It is a total disgrace. The US would never do this on July 4, nor the French to Bastille Day. Why has Australia turned into a country in which the minority lunatics are governing? It's a very good point. Uh, Warwick says they're teaching in the classroom to hate Australia Day. Well, I noticed there was a story in one paper today about kids in primary school being taught that it was invaded and it was stolen. And that's that's the record of history. Well, that was not the record of history until more recently. Anyway, I want to go to Colin, who's on the talkback lines. He wants to have something to say about this Australia Day issue. Go ahead, Colin. Yeah, hi, Chris. Uh, thanks for dealing with this. Just a couple of corrections, mate. Everyone says that um, January 26 is a day that you know, Australia was invaded. It actually wasn't. The first, the first fleet actually arrived on the 18th of January, 1788. The January 26, 1949, the um, National and Citizenship Act was passed in Australia. And that was the day that became known as Australia Day because it was the first time that all states uh, and all uh, people in Australia were recognised as citizens in their own country. So but that's not, the way, that's not the way that it's taken. It's taken as the day that the first fleet came to Farm Cove. Yeah, but it didn't didn't get called Australia Day until that act was passed. Mm. Um, and the Nationality Act in 1920 um, actually gave all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders born after January 1st um, in 1921 the status of uh, British subjects. So they automatically were given the right of being fully grown for fully accepted Australian citizens. These are sort of the things that get confused in the, the whole discussion. Well, the sort of stuff that's never, ever, ever taught in a classroom. And if you don't learn it when you're going to school, you're never going to take it through adult life and have an understanding of what the date means. Oh, absolutely. And this is the whole problem. Like, um, it wasn't until 1984 that we actually ceased to be a, uh, British citizens. Subjects, sorry, British subjects. We weren't British citizens. We were, yeah. we're still until 1984. And all these sorts of things just aren't discussed in the classroom it's hidden and I, I reckon most history teachers at school wouldn't even know that stuff no no i'm glad you mentioned it though especially for a broad, broader audience it's worth it's worth making the point oh absolutely um you know so it's um the fact that you know um it's the fact that all this sort of stuff happened on a certain date and that's why we celebrate it um mm. Yeah, and, yeah, so that's, that's some of the histories, like, you know, what happened in 1948-49. Uh, everyone was given this citizen status use under the Nationality Act. Um, and then in 1984, we all became citizens of Australia. Yeah. And, and what happened in 1949 
um, is every reason to celebrate. It's a great reason to celebrate. Absolutely, because until then, we were recognised as British subjects under each of the colonies of Australia, even though we'd actually become... um, we federated in, in uh, on January the first two thousand. Oh, sorry, no, I was going to say two thousand one, nineteen oh one. We were still considered only as British subjects and yeah. um, not as Australians. So, but it, it just goes to then. show you, Colin. It just goes to show you if we were to move it to January one to appease a minority, the same protest about how Australia was formed would still be argued on that Australia Day. It, you know, January 26 oh, makes no difference. Oh, absolutely. That's it, it, and that's the whole issue that, um, you know, there is a narrative that people want to give. Uh, people ignore what the true facts are. And mate, we don't just see it with Australia Day, but we see it with a whole heap of things that you talk about. And I'm, I'm glad that you, you're talking about it, that things like, you know, um, you look at stand-up media, the narrative, they just follow the narrative and everyone oh. stands up and, and says, oh, if, if it's told on stand-up media and if the government tells us it's true, then it must be true. Well, that's absolutely BS and yeah. I'm glad you're speaking out against it. Good on you, Colin. I'm glad you um, bothered to pick up the telephone and talk to us. Uh, please do so again. Will do and keep, keep, up the work. keep up the work, Chris. It's good to, good to hear. Good on you. Thank you, Colin. Appreciate that. He makes a very good point, Lincoln. Oh, he does. And we're seeing it more in the community as people are hearing about what Cricket Australia are doing and Tennis Australia and Woolworths. I mean, I've I've got a family of five. I'm not, uh, unfortunately, shopping at Woolworths anymore. I mean, that just disgusts me. So, mm. you know, all my business is going to Coles now. You know, I'm just a small fry. I'm a nobody. But when you get 10 million of me nobodies, um, deciding to either not shop at Woolworths at all or, you know, curtail their shopping at Woolworths. It really makes a difference. And I think it's sort of woken up the the average Joe, the average Aussie that says, well, hang on a second, I, I am proud of being Australian. This is a great country. We do amazing things for our people and others around the world. We feed a lot of the people around the world. Our, our brown coal helps um, warm and power uh, lots of other countries around the world except Ukraine. Um, and, you know, we're, you're not going to get a much more kinder and more giving society than Australia. So, you know, people are looking at this and going, well, who are you? I mean, is this socialism gone nuts or is it just woke? Is it the, the Greens taking over? I mean, w- what's going on here? Um, this is not the country I grew up in. Yeah, exactly. People are saying on the chat box maybe there needs to be a boycott of the Australian Open and also the West Indies cricket on that day. Well, go for your life. I would encourage that to make the point and to embarrass those administrators who think that this is the right thing to do, that they're on the right side of corporate morality. You absolutely do as you think. Sell your tickets, tear up your tickets, do as you wish. I've got to take a a break for news. Are you happy to stay with me for five more minutes, Lincoln? Yeah, of course. Okay, stay right there. We'll go to news on TNT. Oh, yeah? We interrupt the regular programming to bring you some breaking news. Breaking news. Now, TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a quick look at your TNT headlines. The UN has condemned Ukraine for shelling a busy market in Russia's Donetsk People's Republic, killing 27 civilians. Donald Trump is one step closer to securing the Republican presidential nomination after yet another one of his rivals dropped out of the race. 
And Britain's Royal Navy has been left red-faced after video went viral showing two of its warships colliding in the Middle East. Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. We'll get to Victorian Upper House MP Renee Heath very shortly on the program. But Lincoln, I want to talk to you about a cost of living summit. Now, it's 18 months after inflation began to strangle middle Australia. 18 months. And yet the Australian PM holds a cost of living summit. And it's not a summit like you would think. It's not about getting experts from around the sector or, you know, those within uh, got skin in the game. No, no, no. He's just going to get his own MPs to come into town, which will cost us about a half a million dollars for the process. One, why has he waited 18 months to do such a thing? And two, isn't it a waste of time and money? Well, it is. So he's waited all this time to do nothing, essentially, because the public uh, and the polls, his poll is going down because the public are saying, hang on a second, mate, prior to the election, you said I'd get 275 bucks off my electricity bill. I don't know about you, but but Chris, I've got a family of five and, and our electricity bill's almost doubled. Yeah, easily. Um, you, you know, and then you've got petrol, you've got um, groceries, you've got insurance, uh, all of these costs that, that families incur and singles incur and rent and mortgages have just gone through the roof. And so this is just a knee-jerk reaction to that. I mean, as you say, he's calling in politicians to come to Canberra. Um, doesn't he have control over his own party and his own politicians in any case? And, and my understanding is that the meeting's going to start at 4 p.m., so what are you going to have an hour of a meeting and then go for drinks at five and dinner at six? It just doesn't make any sense at all, which unfortunately characterises this Australian government and this Prime Minister Albanese, who's who talks a lot and he promised all sorts of things and he delivered zero. His deliverables and the outcomes that he's promised have, have just not materialised and people are hurting and people are, are asking questions. Lincoln, he needs to grow a set. He needs to say, this is what we're going to do. The bloke has got an economics degree, apparently. He could use it and say, this is how we're going to force inflation down. This is how we're going to make it easy for you on the things you cannot avoid spending on or paying. So we'll deal with the states on on, on green slips or, or insurance. We'll do something along those lines. The bloke should have the nous. He sits next to the treasurer almost every second day. He should have the nous to know what to do. He didn't know what to do when it came to a voice to the parliament, so he had to go to a referendum. He doesn't know what to do with the cost of living, so he gets all the underlings to come to Canberra to tell him. It's pathetic. He's as weak as water. Right, he is, and it's just a shame that we are that our prime minister has done such destruction to our country. I mean, he's divided our country, as you mentioned, like I've never seen in my lifetime, and I'm sure you haven't either, you know, with this divisive, costly voice referendum, which everybody hated and was soundly defeated because it's just it was just divisive. Um, he's ramped up through his socialist policies the costs of everything in this country. I mean, we've seen statistics just last week where another 1,650 manufacturing companies have gone insolvent. They've yeah. gone bust in this country. So what that's more of offshoring of, we don't make anything here in Australia no. at all. Um, you know, maybe we make 
I don't know, plastics or not. Well, sorry, not plastic straws. You're not allowed to use those. But I mean, mm. maybe we make paper straws here. I'm not sure. Um, but that's about it. And, you know, unless we start considering and, and talking about what kind of country want, we want to live in, what are our values? What do we want for our children and for the benefit and, and strength um, and national security of this country? Um, until we do that, we're just going to keep sliding and keep deteriorating. And, you know, we're going to, just going to be in a worse and worse situation until, you know, until the bums are thrown out. Yeah. Put your defence cap on for a second. Give us the insight into these Taipan helicopters, which are used right around the world, but for some reason Australia has refused Kiev's request to get hold of them, to, to rescue um, wounded soldiers in the field, in the battlefield, which would be very uh, a very handy humanitarian thing to be involved in, no matter what side of the war you're on, by the way. Um but Australia says no; they're dangerous. They were involved in a in a crash that killed four servicemen. Um, but as I understand it, the uh, inquiry into that crash did not find fault with the Taipan helicopter. So, what are they talking about? I think it comes down to incompetence, and it comes down to ideology. The Albanese government has known for a long time that the Ukrainians needed and wanted those Taipan helicopters just as they needed, wanted and asked for Australian coal for, uh, for energy to keep themselves warm in the, you know, the very cold Ukrainian winters. Now, now Prime Minister Albanese said no to the coal. I don't get that. Um, and he said no to the Taipans. I, I don't get that, especially when he comes out again, all talk and no action. And he says, oh, we're with the Ukrainians all the way. Well, no, that's clearly a lie. Um, they've asked for a number of things that could help them and their people, and you've turned them down. Mm. When with the Taipans, they're French made. He could have sent them to to France. The French could have checked them over and said, "Yeah, there's nothing wrong with them," and shipped them off to the Ukrainians. The Ukrainians yeah, good would point. Have I didn't think that. of that. That's a very good point. And he did not do that. And instead, he's going to dismantle them and bury them, literally bury them into the ground. Um, and you know, essentially saying, "Stuff you, Ukraine." You know, bad luck. And couldn't the Ukrainians decide whether they were safe? Like. I could imagine the kinds of equipment or hand-me-downs they're using in the field and having helicopters that are older um, would not be an exception to the rule. And look, having said all of that, um, that, that, it's almost as if they don't want blood on their hands, depending on what happens in Ukraine. Gee whiz, you know, they, they're grown up. They can decide whether they get into these things or not. Well, it's their decision at the end of the day whether they would have used them or not used them. We just could have said, here they are, you get yeah. them checked. Or yeah. we could have done a deal, we could have been nice and done a deal with the French to say, we'll ship them over, you check them out. Ukrainians can then decide whether they want them or not. But we did none of that. Same with the coal. Um, we've we've just not done anything to help. Same with the Americans. You know, we rely on shipping lanes out of the Red Sea for our imports and exports. The Americans asked us for one ship and we said no. I mean, I've not seen um, our country behave like this in, you know, ever. We've always been a very strong and loyal ally. Um, and it seems like we have, I don't know, an ideologically based, weak, incompetent uh, government and particularly prime minister who doesn't know what he stands for. He doesn't know. He has no character. Um, and it's, again, it's a real shame. He's got to grow a set. That's what he's got to do. 
You've got to grow a set. Hey, fantastic to have you on. I had a, a whole set of other questions to ask you on other issues, but we got way late on the Australia Day issue, which I, I think we couldn't avoid. People are talking about it. They're talking about it everywhere, and they're wondering um, why those that run uh, some of our key sporting organisations and retail stores are turning on their own country. It's just disgraceful. Thank you so much for your time, mate. We'll catch up again soon. Thanks for having me, Chris. All right, fantastic. That's uh, Lincoln Parker. Um, Lincoln, as I mentioned, is the chair of the Defence and National Security Policy Branch of the New South Wales Liberal Party of Australia. 20 years experience in government, defence research and also technology development. See, he makes a good point about those helicopters. Um, why wouldn't you take them back to France? They are the Taipan helicopter designers, creators. They would know whether they're airworthy or not. Don't leave it to Ukraine. Don't leave it to Australian technicians. Send them back to on their way, as it were, to Ukraine, but via France to check them out. What would be wrong with that? And the idea that you would help France with more money, I'm not into. But the fact that you would help them with helicopters to get wounded soldiers from the front line, to me, is wonderfully humanitarian and should have been pursued a little more. And what did the Prime Minister do? The Prime Minister said, sorry, I take advice from the Defence Force. What a weak need response that is. Get an adult running the country, please. Let's take a break. I'll come back after that with Renee Heath, uh, the MLC from Victoria, right after this break on TNT. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. So I've got to ask myself, who am I going to believe? What I'm being told or my lying eyes? Of course, we had the big tongue of volcano go off a couple of years ago, and it actually blew a lot of water vapor into the air. But there's a whole bunch of volcanoes underwater in the Ring of Fire, which is to the east of Australia. Over the last month, there has been a phenomenal warming of the ocean temperatures to the east of Australia. This cannot be because of CO2. It can't be because of solar cycles. What could possibly be causing that to happen? This is so extreme because we're supposed to be in an El Nino and in El Nino seasons, the water is supposed to be cold to the east of Australia. And yet we see this rapid warming. Now I've become a bit of an outcast because of my stance on underwater volcanic activity. I've joined a merry group of people who seem to think the same as me, but nobody wants to give us a time of the day. In any case, if you take a look at what's actually going on, you have to ask yourself, well, if it isn't CO2, if it isn't the sun, what is it? This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. Life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome. Pre-diabetes does. One in three adults has pre-diabetes, but with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. And you can change the outcome. Take the one-minute pre-diabetes risk test today. Go to doihaveprediabetes.org. This is the Christmas show on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. There's still so much to get across from the Southern Hemisphere. Let's get to the member for Eastern Victorian Region in the Victorian Legislative Council, she sits, Renee Heath, MLC, a former chiropractor who now just manipulates the small brains of Victorian parliamentarians. Am I right? 
the girl, well, I'm scared to say, look, I'll go with it. Correct. Go with it. Yes. Yeah. I've seen you. I've seen you wave your finger around from the from your speech pulpit, and I've oh. seen how you're manipulating their brains. Exactly. I try not to talk with my hands too much, but it's too much. <laughs> you must have Italian in you somewhere. I think I must. Yes. You know, it's one thing for a government to have major projects that blow out. All governments do them. Um, but it's another thing. It, it sort of it borders on negligence when you have a government that has projects that blow out to massive degree, but then allow the executives of those projects to gain lucrative bonuses. And that's exactly what the Herald Sun has exposed today in Melbourne. It's been allowed to happen in the contract for the Northeast Link. Despite a $26 billion blowout, the executives get bonuses. They don't care about taxpayers' money much, do they? No, they don't. And in Victoria, our taxpayer dollar is worth less and less. In the real world, you don't get a bonus unless you achieve something. Mm. However, things are very different when you're working for a government project. So Victoria's salaries for executives in these sorts of programs are set by the Victorian Independent Remunerations Tribunal, which is a mouthful. They set the maximum salaries that anybody can have in these roles. But for some reason, three executives have managed to evade the rules. And that article revealed that one is being paid $10,000 over the set limit. Another senior director is getting paid $50,000 over the set limit. But this is the most staggering. The principal project specialist is on $527,000 a year. So that's $120,000 over the set amount in that band. So I don't know what is going on, but a set limit needs to be a set limit. And I wonder if these guys or, you know, these women, whoever they are, are threatening maybe to walk because the project's such a mess. Like why else would you have to go $120,000 over yeah. a set limit? So yeah. this project is a disaster. It's already, like you said, blown out by $26 billion. Gosh. And I just don't understand it. So this has really proved that Labor can't manage money they obviously can't manage projects, and I wonder if this bonus is a reflection that they can't manage people either. Yes, can't manage people either. That's a very good point. But you, you kick governments out on the sole stuff-up of a project that goes $26 billion over the tank. Like, seriously, that, that's, just, that's just incomprehensible. Uh, yeah. anywhere in the world. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, the government doesn't deserve to be the government when they oversee something like that. It's just uh, repulsive. Now, your party, the Liberal Party of Victoria, is standing against this treaty with Indigenous Victorians. I had something to say earlier in the program about the fact that didn't they listen? Don't some of these states listen to what happened at the referendum? The people voted against a treaty and a voice to a parliament. Why do they think that in their a particular jurisdiction, whether it be Victoria or South Australia or Queensland, that the people want a treaty for Indigenous Australians. No, they don't. They voted against it. Now, I think you're doing the right thing, but I, I'm, I'm a little bit, little bit hazy on why you're standing in front of it. I understand that it's got something to do with the fact that uh, there's too many Indigenous considerations given when it comes to major projects in the state? Is that part of what needs to be resolved before you step down to treaty or is the leader of your party just against treaty per se? 
Look, I actually haven't been involved in those conversations, but I am so happy that we have decided to back away from the treaty. Over 60% of Victorians voted no to The Voice, and I think we finally listened to that. We learnt so many things during that process, and I believe during The Voice process, and I believe that the vast majority of Victorians want to see the gap closed. Yeah. We need to see improved outcomes. We have a lot of work to do, particularly in the areas relating to health outcomes, relating to our justice system, in education and in many more. But I do believe, and I always have believed, that the treaty is not going to address those issues. It's just not. And I think a treaty entrenches the thinking that there are two classes of people Yes. and that we're safer when we're divided and that we as a nation can never come together. And I believe that those notions are ones that Australians should it reject entirely, mm. no matter what states where whatever state you're living in. In mm. terms of reparations, I don't know what that means. And I think that there are very few that do know because None a of hallmark of this treaty process has been extreme secrecy. Yeah. And I'm sure that you and I could take a stab in the dark and have a solid guess and say that it probably does, you know, this whole process does have a lot to do with reparations. Yeah. But we don't know that for certain because everything has just been done what it seems in the shadow and I shadows. And I think we've got to bring these processes into the light. Mm. So what we do know is there's an incredible level of bureaucracy since this whole process has started that's been seen particularly in areas of planning and they have a lot to do with cultural heritage overlays and at the same time we're seeing this taking place we're also seeing victorians really suffering we're at a crisis point in this state when it comes to housing yeah. and these processes which have been very vague have been leading a lot, uh, leading to a lot of impediments and a lot of des delays in the necessary rollout of housing stock. So I'm very happy that we have decided to, you know, to to not support the treaty. It is the right decision. Mm. Victoria was once an extremely prosperous state, but sadly we're not experiencing that today. A state that was once prosperous is now so steeped in debt that people have got to pay that back with their taxes and have hardly got anything left for themselves. Yeah. And let, let me cut through um, the politeness here. I get mm. the feeling that Victoria has a lot of very militant, loudmouth Indigenous leaders, not all of them, but a group of them, that pushes the government hard to get their way, and this is the product of that. I think that, that we are being run completely by activists. And I think it's time that people stand up and they say, well, hang on, what's right for, for every Victorian, regardless yeah. of your race, religion, yeah. colour, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And I think that we've got to get away from this ideological sort of politics because while we're stuck in that, we're having a housing crisis, an energy crisis, a cost of living crisis, and then when it comes to who we are as Victorians or Australians, we're having an identity crisis. Yeah. And I think it's time to bring people back together with some sensitive policy that's going to bring us to that prosperous place again. It must happen. Yeah, you've just said something so clever about an identity crisis. Australia has a chronic identity crisis at the moment. Anyway, a, a, a conversation for another day. Um, 
Now, where do you stand on this whole business about, you know, banning Australia Day at the cricket and also at the Australian Open? I find it the most disgusting, anti-patriotic thing I have ever heard. I think it's unbelievable. I think activists have succeeded at one thing, and that's completely in, in like, dividing us. But in a sense, I commend them for at least standing up for their beliefs. Tennis Australia, Cricket Australia, and a bunch of politicians, on the other hand, have completely folded to the loud minority that seeks to divide us, and they're the ones that are allowing them to succeed. So last week we spoke briefly about how less than 20% of Australians want to change the date. Less than 20%. But decisions like this affect 100% of us. So rather than showing some leadership, these guys are letting the one in five lead them. And I think it's extremely sad. On the weekend, actually, I had a really interesting conversation with an Uber driver who mm-hmm. was who came here 30 years ago. And He was chatting and it was actually really captivating. He said he moved here 30 years ago to a peaceful, happy and welcoming Australia. And he began to talk to me about the direction that we're heading in. He said he was so frustrated at the ignorance of my generation, he said, of your generation, Uh who have no idea how bad things can get. And I just listened to him because I had to agree with him. He said that we need to guard things like freedom happiness, which I thought was interesting, Mm. and peace. And I think that he is right. We do need to guard it. And Australia has so much that is worth celebrating. And those things that he mentioned that he came here to 30 years ago, which was a safe, he came here as a refugee that made this place a safe haven, but also a place that was so welcoming where he could prosper. Those are the things that have made us the most successful multicultural society on earth. And now people are beginning to turn around and attack that. It's like they'll accept everything else other than themselves. And yeah, that it's is almost a as recipe. if we're ungrateful. We've shown a, 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 a we're spoilt brat trait in our personality. Do you know, that's what I thought when he said happiness. It really struck me. It really struck me. I thought, that's interesting. You don't see a lot of activists that seem really happy and free, do you? It's like this whole ungrateful attitude has really overtaken them. And it leads me to think, what do these activists really want? Mm. Do they actually just want a change of date and then they'll be happy? Or do they actually want to have peace? Do they actually want to live in a nation that is together and united? Do they want happiness and freedom? because those are certainly the things that I'm going to be fighting for. Yeah, Maybe they should travel a little bit more and see how the rest of the world struggle with things like happiness, struggle with yeah. things like freedom, and in particular right now struggle with things like peace. We've oh, got it 100%. all in this country and we should be very, very grateful for it. Yeah. Now, the Herald Sun has been doing some searching for Mr Whippy. For those listening from across the other side of the world, Mr. Whippy is a very famous ice cream van that used to come around our neighbourhoods when we were kids and sell us ice creams, and it would always happen on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon. You'd hear this sound, the bells and the tune of green sleeves. Um, I never understood why they followed the same tune, but I guess it was characteristic of Mr. Whippy is coming, and we'd all run out and try and get mum and dad to fork out the change to try and buy us an ice cream. And there was a search on to try and find where Mr. Whippy was nowadays. And I'm very happy to say um, that they've found Mr. Whippy at Bonnie Doon, Renee. 
<laughs> I can't believe that. But can you imagine going all the way to Bonnie of Doom to get some peace and then to hear that <laughs> annoying music? Yes. <laughs> like you just think there's no way he can get away from it. <laughs> no, yes, you can see all the dogs in the neighbourhood with their paws on their ears, you know? Exactly. I, I love Mr Whippy. But on the music, a couple, a couple of years ago, a friend of me was telling me that her parents told her that Mr. Whippy only played music when he'd run out of ice cream. I was like, <laughs> and since then, I thought, that's, that's child I abuse. I thought, I actually don't know whether they were brilliant or just complete jerks, but regardless, <laughs> pretty funny. <laughs> only when he ran out of ice cream. Oh, so that's they- cruel. <laughs> exactly, but very funny. <laughs> what are you going to be doing for Australia Day? May I intrude? I can proudly say that at this stage I'm going to be at two councils for their Australia Day celebration, so I hope that doesn't change. I'm not going to say where they are because I don't want people to tune in and then start trolling them and saying how terrible they are, (laughs) but I'm really looking forward to that. Citizenship's uh, extremely important, and what I find very interesting that just about all of them, they talk about when you come to this country, you're the same, you have the same rights as everyone else and that this is a place you can prosper, and I love that, and I'm going to be celebrating that way. You know, those who are ungrateful about what they have in their country, but in particular in the context of Australia that has this chronic identity crisis, should go Mm. to a citizenship ceremony. I've covered a fair few in my time as a uh, reporter on TV, and the times that I've gone and to see the you know finish of the ceremony and then the fa- the person who's been become a citizen leap into the arms of their family in absolute oh. tears and thankfulness at being an Australian for the first time in their lives and yep. and embracing that concept is just awe inspiring it's amazing and and just on that I often go and just sort of walk through and and meet people, find where they're from before the ceremony starts. And I'm amazed at the amount of time people just get up, either give me a hug, shake my hand and say for us this. Oh, we lost her completely. I reckon she's pressed a button on her computer somewhere and she's pressed off the Zoom. Um, But anyway, back to what I was just saying. I've run out of time on the program anyway. I've only got a minute or so left. But but you should do this. You know, if, if on Australia Day you get a chance to go to a citizenship ceremony and maybe that's something you couldn't think you'd ever do, do it because you'll be amazed at how thankful new arrivals are at becoming an Australian. And it's a great lesson to all of us who have been so lucky, who got the great straw and were born in this country to go to a citizenship ceremony and see what it means to people who weren't born in this country. And then you get an appreciation for what you have and an appreciation for the peace, happiness, and what was the other word? Freedom that that Uber driver mentioned to Renee that Australia was all about, that he came to Australia for, the freedom, the peace, and the happiness. People need to be happy. People need to protect the freedom and people need to understand and be thankful for the peace that we have because we're so far away. Anyway, I just wonder and uh, I fear for a country that doesn't know what it is, who it is, or what it should be grateful for because it's laid on in bucket loads in this country and we should be thankful for it instead of whinging about our lot. 
That would be my message as we come up to Australia Day on Friday. You won't be getting any Australia Day ceremony at the cricket or the tennis, and that is totally and utterly disgraceful. And the Prime Minister of this country, if he had a set, he should grow a set and tell them that that is unacceptable. I'll leave it with you to think about and mull over, but go to that citizenship ceremony on Australia Day. I will leave you in the hands of the one and only David McBride today filling in for Dean. We'll come back and do it again at the same time tomorrow. This is Chris Smith.